Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. In 1919, he hit 29 home runs and was sold to the New York Yankees. and A-Rod going at it. Roberts is going. Masada's throw. Roberts, safe. And what can I say? Just dip my heart and, and call the Yankees my daddy. Welcome to Fanbase, a deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports in episode 105. It, it may be, I, mean, I feel like it's kind of the most, we've had a lot of good ones and a lot of great guests, but this one uh, really special for us. John Senecal, Brian Shackman here. Uh, Fred Lynn. I mean, you can talk about uh, all his all-star appearances and his time in, in Detroit or in, in California with the Angels, but, you know, obviously for me and so many people, he's a Boston Red Sox for life, and he joins us now. Uh, Mr. Lynn, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the show. I just want to know, are you getting any sponsorship money from Johnny Walker or what? <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, it, that, that thing's uh, taken on a life of its own, it seems like. Um <laughs> It was kind of a, a joke at the beginning, but, you know, uh, if it makes people put a smile on their face, then uh, what the heck. Yeah, you're getting a lot of traction. you got two mostly new knees. and Yeah, that's right. I've got two parcels, um, and I'm doing pretty well, to be honest with you. Uh, I make sure everybody knows these are parcels, not full replacements. So if you're going to uh, do these kinds of surgeries, I don't know if you do two uh, full new replacements at one time. I, I've heard that being done, but... Um, the partial deal, being a, an athlete who's worked out for 40 years, you know, the PT, it's just something I've been doing forever. seems like it's just a different uh, workout. It's, it's with my knees now instead of something else. But it's going pretty well. Uh, I'm, I'm walking around. I, I can do just about everything, just not full speed yet. So I'm looking forward to getting out on the golf course and uh, testing these babies out to see if they can shoot uh, 68. <laughs> well, that'd be hey, – can you shoot your age? Um, you know, the interesting – Interesting thing in is as bad as my knees have been. Uh, probably five or six weeks ago, I shot sixty nine. Um, it was right before my birthday, <clears throat> so I, I beat my age by two. And uh, I hadn't done that well ever. And it was the first time I ever played around a round of golf with no bogeys. So um, it's in there. It's in there. I just have to drag it out. Wait, you can watch. You can watch his 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 progress in recovery from his surgeries at. 19 Fred Lynn on Twitter, which is where I, I, I got is how we connected. You know, I want to, you know, we this podcast for history's sake started in the pandemic. John is a huge Yankee fan. I'm a huge Red Sox fan. 
and we just did it to pass the time. And then when I joined, you know, formerly Intercom Odyssey, they picked up the podcast, and it's been off to the races. But it started as a Yankees Red Sox podcast, but really we do baseball in general. But for you, people, I didn't know this, and and you were drafted by the New York Yankees, and you decided not to sign, and you went on to win three World Series with USC. And I guess the where I'd like to start is it, you know, talk, take us back to then. Why you said no, and whether it was hard to say no to the Yankees? Uh, well, I have to go back a little bit further. Um, when I was 16, um, I played on a team sponsored by the New York Yankees. We were the Pasadena Yankees, and it's a suburb of L.A. It's right where the Rose Bowl is, and our stadium that we play baseball is adjacent to where the Rose Bowl is located. And this team, <clears throat> we wore old Yankee uniforms. I had Moose Gowan's uni, by the way, when I was 16 years huh. old. That scour and stitched in the you know, the back of the neck. So um, Roy White played on this team, by the way. So the Yankees knew about me when I was 16 years old. This was a Sunday um, league, and you played against guys that were in college or minor league guys. So when I was 16, I played against guys who were in the mid-20s or older. But it was, like I say, sponsored by the Yankees. So when it comes down to draft time as an 18-year-old, um, the, the Yankees drafted me, I think it was in the third round, but we had told everybody that I was going to school. Um, I went to USC to play football and baseball. Um, and so we really didn't think too much of the draft. I mean, I was going to school. That's We told everybody. There were a lot of teams that were interested in me in the first round, either as a pitcher or as a hitter. So when the Yankees drafted me anyway, it was just kind of like a shock. And I remember when the the scout came to my house, and it was just my dad and I. And I says, well, you know, I'm so-and-so representing the New York Yankees. We'd like to offer you this. And my dad says, you know, we told you guys, you know, my son's going to school. And you you just, you know, you're wasting your time. And the guy goes, well, we're the New York Yankees. And my dad, dad goes, well, there's the door. <laughs> so we didn't sign. And, uh, you know, I, I was going to go to school, so it was – it was no surprise to me. I guess it was a surprise to them, though. When the decision to go to school was that something that was, you know, more of a moral, like uh, society kind of thing, or was that something like that your parents instilled into you that you had to get an education? What was the what was the process behind it that? It was a big deal. Uh, I was the first person to go to a, a major university in my family. Um, I, I think some of my distant relatives have maybe gone to JCs or something, but uh, it was a big deal to go to school. And I was primed for this since I was in kindergarten. You know, you're, you're going to get an education, and that comes first. Sports comes second. Um, now, I used my athletic ability to get to the major universities via football, um, and that's what afforded me a scholarship to go to USC. In a lot of other schools, but I was going to go to school. That was, you know, and back then they weren't giving you a lot of money to sign anyway. So, you know, the college education was paramount. And uh, that's the major decision or major reason why I went to USC. Now, growing up, I mean, you, you say you're groomed for this. Now, you're obviously a sports fan. Are you a, are you a Yankees fan growing up, a baseball fan in general, or what was your team growing or was up? Was it just football? I grew up in the L.A. suburbs. And so the Rams played at the Coliseum where the Trojans play. Um, I used to go to uh, Trojan football games. I, I'd go to a couple of Ram games. And then, you know, when I was a kid or younger, uh, say high school, um, 
the Trojans were football and UCLA was basketball, and we had the best of both right in the same city. And I, I, I was recruited to go to UCLA too. And um, but uh, you know I watched basketball. I played basketball in school as well. But uh, I love sports. I was not a Dodger guy. I was a Giants fan. Um, the Dodgers were good. You know they had Koufax and Drysdale, and they 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 won a lot of one nothing games. But the Giants had Mays and Marshall and Cepeda. Uh, and they hit, and so they were they were more fun for me to watch, and uh, I just became a giant fan as a kid. But I was a sports fan in general. I, I followed all sports, um, in and I followed the local teams, and then so when USC was interested in me to play football, and I like I said been to the Coliseum many times. I said, well, this is pretty cool. I could play where I used to come in and watch. So that's when another reason why I went to USC. It's interesting that you brought up the fact that the Yankees sponsored a team. You know, they still do that. It's called the Hanks Yanks. And here in Connecticut, you know, my kids play amateur base, amateur you know, youth baseball, and they play against that team. So they're still doing that as part of the tradition with the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've, uh, after you go through USC and you flash forward and you get drafted by the Red Sox, and then you uh, you wind up in a part of our uh, part of our country here uh, where we are talking now, and that's Connecticut. <laughs> and you wind up in Bristol, Connecticut. And I'm sure you loved Bristol, Connecticut, right? <laughs> it was pretty small. Um, when I signed, um, I didn't sign till, geez, like mid-July. You know, the draft is in early June, but I played um, on a U.S. team, an, an all-star team, collegiate all-star team against the Japanese all-stars. They came to um, the States, and we played at Dodger Stadium and Angel Stadium. And I asked the Red Sox if I could do it because I had done it previously, went to Japan as a sophomore and played against their, their all-stars in Japan. Um, so I, I had... Uh, uh, international experience. Um, so the Red Sox said, sure, go ahead. So when I get to Bristol, the season's half over, at least half over. And um, everybody already has roommates and places to stay. I have none of that. Uh, the team was on the road when I joined them in the Sherbrooke, Canada. Don't even ask me where that is. It's, it's, it's just in Canada. Um, <laughs> so I get back to, you know, I'm up there for a few days and come back home to Bristol, and I'm trying to find a place to stay. And fortunately, I knew um, one of a USA team guys, uh, Andy Merchant. Um, he said, well, you can come stay with us at this little cottage on uh, Cedar Lake. So they already had, you know, it was a two-bedroom place. So I stayed on a porch <laughs> at a little lanai, on a, uh, like a lounge chair. That was my bed. So it was uh, an interesting uh, start uh, to professional baseball for me. Uh, Muzzy Field, that's where yeah. uh, Bristol Field is. That's a great little ballpark. Still play there um, today. Still there. Yeah, yeah, my son plays there. Yeah, super little ballpark. Great trees in the background. Good hitters background. Um, real short to right and long to left. Um, I get so blown away by you guys. I get blown away. You've been there in probably, what, 50 years, and you still know the nuance. I bet in golf, too, you're like, yeah, my second shot on the fifth. <laughs> you, know, to, you know, like that recall is you baseball guys are incredible with that. Well, it, it made an impression. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, this is my first stadium as a pro, basically. And uh, so I'm, I'm checking it out. And I said, wow, this is this is pretty cool. Because I, I, I was a dead pole hitter then anyway. I said, Jesus, get the ball in the air here. Um, and then Jimmy, you know, he had to hit bombs to go to the left. Right. So I had and in that that league. I wasn't in it very long, about a month and a half. Everywhere we played, it was all the stadiums were very similar. It was short and right and long and left. Hmm. So it was 
advantageous to be a left-handed hitter in um, the Eastern League in those days. So, but Buzzy Field was a cool little place. Um, we didn't draw flies. We're a terrible team. The team was mired in last place when I got there, and I sure didn't help them advance. Um, but uh, then Jimmy and I got called up at the end of the, our season to AAA, and uh, we helped them win the AAA World Series. So it was a kind of a cool start. Um, you know, got my feet wet in AA and then went right away to AAA and won the AAA World Series. Yeah. So that was a good start. You know, we're talking with Fred Lynn and just incredible. We don't have – I'd love to talk to you for two hours, but we don't want to do that to you uh, on this day. But, you know, if, if, if you're not familiar, nine-time All-Star – uh, we think sort of the only true rookie of the year MVP. I mean, Ichiro is amazing Hall of Famer, but he was well far advanced in his career when he came to the United States and four-time Gold Glover here on the fan base podcast. John Senecal, Brian Shackman here. I think we really need to fa- fast forward to not just seventy-five, but I think from like seventy-five to eighty. Like the thing in revisiting your career, Fred, was that the seasons you had. I mean, especially seventy-nine. You know, statistically, even better. And, I mean, Don Baylor, if you want to go by war, I mean, Don Baylor didn't have half the season you had in 79, and he won the MVP. And, you know, we, we've had a great time pouring over your numbers. And I, I guess the best, the best way to start, you know, when talking about that era, was, I, I guess I want to ask, because everyone knows the 75 series, and that's your rookie year. But I want to start with Red Sox-Yankees. When you came up in 75 and were having the season, did the Red Sox-Yankees matter back then? Oh yeah, it mattered. Um, I I really didn't feel um, the rivalry in New York, and only because they were playing at Shea. Um, and really, you know, Mets fans aren't Yankee fans. So I mean, imagine a, a sprinkling of, of Mets fans got into Shea to watch the Yankees play, because they, if you remember correctly, they were refurbishing Yankee Stadium. So my first year, we didn't play in Yankee Stadium. We played in Shea. So I didn't really feel like they had a home field advantage, to be honest. Uh, now, I felt it when we, they came to our place, because our place was crazy nuts. You know, Red Sox, and, you know, they hated the Yankees. And I could really feel the energy. But I never felt the, the, the negative energy um, of playing in Shea. I, that probably helped us out in 75. Then until you know, when they got back to their real place, yeah, then I felt it. Then it was like, okay, game on. This is what it's supposed to be like. You know, you got 55,000 people who really don't like you. So it was uh, intense, um, but I, you know, I, I was used to it a little bit because I had SC UCLA and SC Stanford. So I mean, th- those rivalries were intense and, and longstanding, just like this one. Um, but what mattered the most was that both teams are in the same division, you know, just a few miles apart, basically, um, geographically, and uh, both teams were really good. And, and the rivalry is is only is is good is when the teams are both good. That's right. Um, if one of them was you know dominating the other, then yeah, who cares? But when they're both good and both fighting for the same thing, then it's then it's intense. Yeah. And you know there was a lot of <laughs> dislike between the two teams, and you know it really started a catcher. You know Fisk and Munson. Yeah. Uh, two Type A personalities playing the same position. Oh, who's better? You know, and, and geez. <laughs> it kind of started there, the way I saw it from from the outside looking in, um, and you know, then the, the both cities, you know, were you know thoroughly engaged and not liking each other. You know, I, I want to ask you 
I mean, I, I'd like to go to the big red machine stuff, and 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 you can chime in on whether you thought you know your first year there that was just the way it was going to always be. But I mean, since we are limited on time, I think about the seasons, you know, especially you know we all know about '78 and Bucky Dent and all that. You won 99 games in '77. You won 97. You know, both years second place. But if you played that season in 2023. You'd be in the playoffs. And so when when you look back at those years, do you think that if you had had that opportunity to get in the way they get in now, that those could have been World Series teams? Well, yeah, there's no question. Um, the way the playoff system is is now, all those teams in the 70s would have made it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the teams, you know, everybody remembers the 78 team when 99 games. To me, we were better in 77. Now, what people forget uh, except for me, is that I tore ligaments from my left ankle in spring training and missed the first 27 games of the season mm. in 77. So we only lo- we won 97 anyway. Um, so I, I kind of think that if I'd have been in there for those those 27 games, it might have made a difference. Maybe climbed up you know two or three more games. Uh, I, I'd like to think that would been been the case. So you know that, that 77 team was loaded. We beat the heck out of people hmm. you know, we'd, we'd go on these big winning streaks but you know we go on some losing streak but we still won 97 it's just that back then it was the yankees and baltimore and the red sox all three teams were really really good it just wasn't one team there were three teams really you had the best three teams in the american league all in the same division so yeah man it was it was rugged and no question about it Fred, you had mentioned about, you know, at the beginning of the season, missing time for you know, being injured with their uh, ligament. And you said you only missed like 27 games. Is that, Was that something you did in spring training and you just did yeah. that going into the yeah, season? Yeah, I, 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 I can remember it like it was yesterday. I went to, um, where, where Braden, Braden, the, the Pirates. In those days, you had to bring, when you went on the road, you had to bring some quote-unquote star players. Well, Zim brought me along and I pinch hit and I got a hit. Jeez. Got on second base. Somebody had a soft liner to left, and I went back to second, and their field was like concrete. It used to dry out. And I went back into second, and my spike caught, and my uh, ligament just popped. You could hear it all throughout the stands. And so poof, they just slapped me in a cast that night for two months. And, and so that was a huge – and I was crushing it in the spring. Um, so it was, that, was, that was tough because even though I came back, there was no rehab. I literally flew to Seattle and played, um, took BP and played. That, that was it. Uh, so since it was my back leg, uh, my calf and my hammy, uh, my quad, they all atrophied about an inch smaller. And so as the season wore on, I remember digging in and my leg would shake because <laughs> I'd lost muscle. And uh, so I wasn't the same player that I w- was in spring training. Um, and so that, you know, that's, you lose, you win 97 games, and if I'm healthy, we win 105 probably. Well, it's crazy because you're talking about, you know, basically you're coming back from a huge injury that, you know, when I when I first asked the question, I'm saying this guy's out for a month with with torn ligaments in his ankle. You know, I'm thinking a normal player nowadays is out six months with that. You know, at least four months probably. Well, and, they would at least they would have some PT. They would they right. would be they would make sure that your your muscles weren't atrophying in a cast. Yeah, they would, they would do things differently. We didn't they didn't have any of that then. It's, you know, so you were immobile for two months. Yeah. Cast him off, go play. Now, given, I mean, given the time, you know, nowadays players are 
got all sorts, even though nutritionists and dietitians and all trainers and all that. But how often in your career were you playing through injury? I'm not talking about this kind of injury where you literally couldn't play. I'm talking about, you know, the strain quad and that. And you just didn't say it and you just kept going. Where Some of these guys, you know, oh, they sneeze and they're out for a month now. Yeah, the, 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 there's a lot of differences between now and then, but you know the the, the ownership, you know, because they're paying these guys a lot of money, they'll make sure that they're 100 percent when they come back in. Um, when I had an uh, an issue or an injury, I always came back too soon. 100 percent of the time, came back too soon. Uh, I just couldn't stand to sit there not doing anything. You know, let my team down, my city down, all that stuff weighs heavily on you. So I, I always came back too soon, and you're always fighting through something. And there were days even months where nothing's wrong, well, that's when I tear them up. You know, I, I'm kind of a, I don't want to call it natural, but I don't, I never really thought about, uh, like, hitting, uh, I thought about, you know, how I was going to approach a, a, a certain pitcher, but I didn't really think about mechanics and things like that. It's just, I could do it. So when I'm healthy, I, I just let it fly. And I don't really think about it a lot. I just react to what I'm doing. And I was very successful doing that. So when you're injured, you get a chink in the, in the machinery, you know, then you start thinking, mm, okay, how am I going to you know, make up for that? And you start trying to do things that you don't normally do. And so, unfortunately, you know, I had to do that a lot, especially the second half of my career. But, you know, that's just as a pro, that's, back then, you know, that's the way you did it. You, know, you talked about not letting your team down. And, um, you know, you look at your career over 17 years, you, know, you had basically, you know, half of that pretty much with the Red Sox. Um, and you're a Red Sox Hall of Famer. Is do you consider yourself always in your heart and in your soul a Red Sox and part of the New England fabric of baseball? Yeah, sure do. Um, you know, they they gave me my start. They drafted me. You know, they brought me up. And um, the cool thing about coming up with the Sox in, in those days is the relationships that you made with the guys you came up with. You know, Jimmy Rice and I go back to Double A together, hmm. so we're friends today. Um, in, in the youth of that 75 team, we had, <clears throat> gosh, we had five or six guys under the age of 25, and we're starting. I mean, that's unheard of uh, in, in today's world, too, um, especially on a, a, con, a panic-contending team in a town that wants to win. So <clears throat> it, was, it was so much fun to be with those guys and have the relationships that I have now um, with all those guys, with Dewey and Louie and Rooster. Um, all the guys that I, I came up with, you know, I, I'm still friends uh, with today. So, yeah, when I when I signed with the Sox, I thought it, I'd be a Red Sox forever. That's just the way I thought. You know, it's we're talking with Fred Lynn, the great Fred Lynn here on Fan Base, the deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports. We only have a couple of minutes left here. And, I, you know, before, I know John wants to ask you some of your thoughts on the modern athlete, but you just touched on it, like Lynn, Fisk, Rice, Evans. I mean, even Yaz, you know, was not as as young as you guys. You still had Carl Yastrzemski, and you had the, this run from the mid seventies to to you know, I don't know. You can even say to to eighty if you want to, and yet you, you know you you never won it. And I'm just curious. And we, we, I think you belong in the the Hall of Fame beyond just the Red Sox Hall of Fame. But talk about that. You know, looking back, I mean, you played until 1990. I mean, you had an incredible career. You know, I mean, just incredible. But not having that World Series, especially with the Red Sox, just I just want your thoughts on that hole. Yeah, it, it's a big one. Um, uh, <clears throat> you know, there are, are were opportunities to get it done, um, and we just came up short for 
various reasons, in, you know, in 78 um, with the Bucky Dent thing. And then in, in 75, you know, Jimmy Rice doesn't play in the World Series. Um, that's huge. Um, and then even in 82 when I was with the Angels, um, we lost when I thought we should have won. Having had the success I did as an amateur um, at USC and winning uh, national championships three, three for three and then winning the AAA World Series, I was used to winning. I was used to going to championship games and winning them, not losing them for any reason. So, yeah, there's a big hole um, in my career as far as I'm concerned. You know, we didn't get it done. Uh, we, we played well. We had really good teams. Um, but when it comes down to, like, you know, a one-game scenario, anything can happen. And, it, and you know, unfortunately for us, we we didn't catch the breaks that we needed. Um, but, you know, the Yankees were really, really good. So you got to tip their, the cap to those guys because they were equally as good. And don't forget Baltimore because they were right there too. So, yeah, I, I still think about that stuff. <laughs> I'll wake up at night and I said, don't throw that bitch. Oh, geez. Um, or things like that. Um, yeah, it would have been just wonderful to, to win, but I, I, I enjoyed winning. I don't like losing. Um, I enjoyed all the wins that we had with the club and, and all the good times, and it was, it was a blast to, be, to play uh, 70s baseball with the Sox. Fred, Brian mentioned about the Hall of Fame, and of course, you know, when you mention your name, it, you, it, it can't mention, not mention the Hall of Fame because the numbers are there. And, you know, you look at the players in the last 20 years that are going into the Hall of Fame, and you look at their numbers, and obviously they're skewed with the PEDs, and you can talk about the Clemens, the Bonds, the Maguires, the Sosas, and those guys. Um, but then you'll also hear play, people say that, you know, every era had something. Every era, you know, there was the Greenies. And, you know, I had, I had talked to Keith Hernandez at a charity event once in the media room, and he was talking about how he smoked a full pack of cigarettes in the 86 Game 6 <laughs> against the Astros. And some would argue that may give you an edge on the field or in a bat with a nicotine rush. But, you know, that aside, I would love to hear your take on um, players getting into the Hall of Fame. When we're talking about the numbers being there, but – there's whispers or there's, you know, evidence that there was <laughs> cheating. Because, you know, like I said, people say that there was cheating all throughout baseball in every generation. Well, yeah, you're always going to try to get an edge. Um, uh, in, in my day, uh, yeah, you mentioned greens or amphetamines. Um, that's, guys would even take diet pills. Uh, I remember hearing that. Um, but, you know, what, what's the difference between that and having espresso coffee? Um, probably not much. Um, but as far as the Hall of Fame is concerned and, and the different eras that you play in, yeah, they're vastly different. They're vastly different. Uh, 70s baseball doesn't look like anything like today, for sure, even in the 80s. Um, the ballparks, the ball itself, um, the way pitchers pitch, uh, everything's different. So it's, it's, you, you, you're going to make the hall from your time, not from any time before or after, uh, because you can't really compare uh, generations. Numbers, um, I never was a numbers guy. All I cared about was the number on the left side of the column, wins. Yeah. That was my number. Do everything you could do that particular day to help your team get a W. That's it. Yeah. There is no more. And if I, if I could do well to do that, great. And if I, if I couldn't hit, maybe I'd make a play in the field. You know, find a way to win the game. That's it as a pro. You know, or anyway, that's how I thought, even as an amateur. But um, so uh, awards and things like that, um, I had plenty of them. I, that was never a goal. Yeah. 
when you it was when, never a goal, when never you, anything that I ever thought about. Um, I I can remember playing with guys uh, in the big leagues and 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 we'll be up ten to one, and you know said, so, well, get me out of here. Let's get somebody else in there. You know, we, we get some guys off the off the bench, get in there, get some game time experience here. And I I heard one guy said, nah, you know, I might I might hit a homer in the eighth inning. I said, what the game's over. Yeah, but he's looking down the road. Arbitration and the such. Yeah, yeah they're looking down the road for stats, you know, and they all count. Yeah. You know, I, I never thought of that. But, you know, at the end of your career, that eighth inning meaningless homer, it's a homer. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I just wasn't wired like that. So um, I'm very happy with, with I, the way I played and, and uh, the effort I put out every day that I came out. And like I said, my goal is to win. And so when we didn't, yeah, I was hurt more than anybody else. When you uh, watch the game, I mean, do you still follow baseball today? Do you watch it on TV? I do. It's a little harder to watch. Maybe it'll be easier this year when there's not seven guys in one side of the field. Um, but, you know, to, to be honest about that shift thing, another topic, the onus was on the hitter. I mean, if I had six guys looking at me on the right side, I'm not hitting it over there. I don't, yeah, I don't understand, Fred. Why? Like, I know the macho thing. I mean, the macho thing in baseball has got out of hand. But like, I don't care. Like, why not just bunt and keep them honest? Why can't the market forces just take care of itself? Yeah, you know, because well, you have some people running the game that actually never had a bat in their hand. So that's one of the reasons that that, that happened. But you know, the hitters got to look over there and say, "Well, I can remember this how it used to be." If middle infielders, they see the catcher put down the sign, say it's a breaking ball. Well, right before the pitch is thrown, they might slide over a couple steps. And if, as, as a hitter, if you saw them do that, number one, you knew what the pitch was. And number two, you might hit it where they weren't. So these are things that we knew about that today's hitters don't even think about. If I didn't have anybody at short and third, I'd hit 500 <laughs> until you put the guys back where they belong. <laughs> so why don't the guys do it then? I don't know. <laughs> That's I what, don't know. I, it must be the anal- analytics say that if nine guys go up there and try to hit a home run, we might hit four home runs and win the game. Yeah. I mean, do you even? So you, I mean, let's face it. I mean, for me, I think it's like we always dress the way we think we were in life when we were the coolest, and we dress that way when we're older. We always look back on the phase of the game where we loved it the most, right? And so for me, it's like the the early '80s and then the early aughts because you know I met my wife and we went to a tons of games in '04 and '05 and just the the Red Sox were so fun and it was so intense and it was so real. And I'm just curious, I mean, is it is is you said it's hard to watch. I mean, what about the culture of it from the bat flips to just home runs <laughs> home runs or bust? I mean, does it bother you or are you okay well, if with you it? You ask a guy like Bob Gibson or Don Drysdale if anybody ever flipped a bat when they were pitching. <laughs> right. You get it right in the teeth. There'll be no <laughs> You know, if there if if you did that, okay? The, the pitcher might not even wait for you to come back up there. The next guy up was going to go down. So as a teammate of somebody who did that, who showed up the pitcher or the other team, <clears throat> and then they, they throw up my noggin and say, hey, to my teammate, knock that off. <laughs> You're going to get me killed. So, yeah, we policed our own back then. Um, so, yeah, like I say, it's a different animal. And these guys, to be honest, that's the way they've been taught. So they don't. They might not necessarily know the difference. You know, it's it's incumbent upon my guys of my generation to, if they're coaching, to say, "Hey, listen. You know, there's another way to do this. Don't 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 preach to them like you're preaching to the choir. You just show them. Said, listen, there's another avenue for you here. Try this. 
is, or see if it works for you. Uh, but if you say, do this, do that, I don't know if they'll listen. Fred, you mentioned Bob Gibson and Don Drysdale, and I feel like Bob Gibson's like the, the benchmark when don't, don't piss this guy off on the mound. Um, <laughs> did you have that one pitcher that you faced that you saw him penciled in, you're like, oh, man, this is not going to be a good day? I mean, for a 283 lifetime hitter, there wasn't many guys that had your number. But was there a well, guy Frank up there? Tanana was Frank Tanana was my kryptonite um, when he was with the Angels with Nolan Ryan. Really? You got traded for Frank Tanana. Yeah, that's right. Um, he is your kryptonite. You know, it was it was <laughs> Nolan Ryan was number one in strikeouts and Frankie was number two. You know, this is before he hurt hurt his arm. He threw probably mid nineties and he had four pitches. Okay, not just two like Noli. And and he threw kind of across his body as a lefty and he was tall. So he's really, really hard to pick up. And he had good control. Um so the reason why he was so successful after he hurt his arm because he already knew how to pitch. So when I went out there, I think it was in 75, he struck out 17 of us. I struck out three times. I didn't foul one off. Huh. And I'm having a pretty good year. And we're a pretty good team. Um, so, yeah, he was my guy that I was like, oh, okay, let's see if we can make contact here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I want to, I mean, John's asked you the greatest question because I think it's the anecdotes from your playing days that, are just the people don't get to access that you know we we like to bring to people and i'm just curious about you know as we this will be the last question just you know talk about maybe you know your favorite place to play or you know the the i don't know like do you have a favorite fishing spot in new england yeah or something just give us some <laughs> underbelly that you know people be like man i did not know that well it, it, here's the deal playing uh in boston in the 70s remember they hadn't won for a while right so every game was life or death, and you need an outlet, uh, something you can do to just get away from the game for a bit, just to decompress, um, because there's a lot of media attention. And that's okay, but you just need to decompress. So for me, it was fishing. And so uh, I lived in various spots in, uh, around the ballpark, and I would just go out, and I would look for low areas, because that's where the water is, and I'd parked my car and i'd fish these ponds to me there were ponds well some of them were reservoirs you're not supposed to fish apparently <laughs> <laughs> so but I, I would find my way in there and and you know I'd, I'd i'm a bass fisherman and i caught a lot of bass and um i just i'd let them go but that was a way for me to just go out by myself just be with nature um, i'm the only person out there unless the Mounties came or somebody, you know, some woman would say, hey, somebody's fishing in my pond. <laughs> and that happened once, by, by the way. <laughs> I come out and the guys, two two cops are waiting for me, and, and I, they recognized me. And, and I said, I'm just, you know, fishing here. And, uh, is, there, is there a problem? And then they said, well, this, this gal over here says, you know, don't, 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 you're not supposed to fish here. Here, go park down about three blocks that way and no one will see you. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, great. But that's how, that's how I um, dealt with uh, the pressure of the situation. You know, I just went out and I, I went fishing by myself, and, and then I was ready to go to the park. It's like Ted Williams. You know, my dad is a big fisherman. He wrote Ted Williams a letter once and, and about fishing, not about baseball. And Ted, Ted typed up a letter and wrote him back. I mean, there's something about the common thread of, of fishing. I think it connects people in a way that's – I don't understand, but it, it definitely is a bond. Uh, that's different. You know, Fred, listen, you know, we'd love the chance to access you down the road, but we were so appreciative 
And, and you know, because of social media, I mean, I guess it's, it must be really fun for you to recreate with the mass, you know, to reconnect with the masses because it's so much easier than it was 20 years ago. And you can have this social media presence where everyone can see and interact with you. Yeah, it's fun uh, to be, uh, when you're playing, especially in my day. You know, I try to sign autographs at the ballpark, but that was difficult because the little kids would get crushed by the mass of people. And I say, okay, but you try to react with them as much as you can, but you know, you're kind of pigeonholed a little bit. And um, it's nice to be able to reach out and, and have interaction um, a positive way. Uh, with the fans, and it, I love to hear what they have to say because it's it's good uh, feedback for me, you know, especially when they like the defensive stuff because I always considered myself a defender before a hitter. Hmm. And so that makes me feel good um, when people appreciate, you know, my style of play. Um, kind of reckless, but, you know, they, they love that stuff. And so it's, it's nice to hear those stories, and, you know, I try to communicate back as best I can with them. And uh, just to be positive about it and put a, a smile on their face, and, and that's what I try to do. Well, thank you for your time. It's been awesome. Yeah, you can't ask Well, thanks very much, guys. And uh, maybe we'll do it again uh, during the season. That was fun. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, talk about a great perspective about an amazing career in baseball that a lot, of, I mean, I hate to say it, a lot of people really would not remember him unless he's a they're Red Sox fans, really. I mean, just a great baseball player and fascinating individual. I mean, like you said, amazing athlete. Oh, I mean, he went to USC to play f- football and not necessarily baseball and won three national championships in baseball. And he could probably be on the senior tour, PGA. Like the I, senior, it, senior tour. Seriously. And he's got two new knees, uh, mostly new knees. Uh, what a great, what a great half an hour. It's just so much fun. You've been listening to Fanbase, a deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.